Good morning, folks, and thank you for coming back and joining me this morning on Next on the T. I'm your host, Chris Mascaro, and today I'm so excited to share three really great guests with you. First up with me this morning, I'll be joined by PGA Master Professional Paul Rudine, and Paul is the Director of Instruction at Ocean Edge Resort and Golf Club up in Brewster, Massachusetts, which looks absolutely spectacular, folks. Please go online, check it out, Google it, and see what a beautiful place and what a wonderful setting that golf course is in. We'll get some tips on how to play better into the wind, how to pitch it and chip it closer to the hole, and how to make more short putts when Paul joins me here in just a few minutes. Following Paul, I'll be joined by a, a, a top 100 instructor, Tom Stickney, and Tom has been the director of instruction at some really beautiful resorts, you know, including Bighorn Golf Club uh, over in uh, Palm Desert, California, which has been the site of several tournaments and events, including the Skins Game. He's now the director of operations at Vedanta Golf Academy at Vedanta Nuevo Vallarta Resort down in Mexico, which is another absolutely spectacular place. We'll talk about how to hit better shots when you find yourself on uphill and side hill lines, plus how to use the slope of the green to our advantage and a whole lot more when Tom joins me a little bit later on in this half hour. Then we'll round out the show with a visit from Taylor Made Adidas Golf CEO David Abeles, and I'll talk with David and get his thoughts on the Masters and the duel between two TaylorMade sponsored players and winner Sergio Garcia and runner-up Justin Rhodes. We'll also talk about world number one and another TaylorMade guy, Dustin Johnson. We'll also get David's thoughts on the ROI expectation that they have from signing Tiger Woods to a contract earlier this year, and who knows, right, if we'll ever you know see Tiger play or be competitive again. Plus, we'll talk about their M1 and M2 golf clubs, their TP5 and Project A golf balls, both of which will rank gold on the Golf Digest hot list. David is going to be set to join me a little bit later on in this hour. So we've got a lot of great stories and a lot of great information and tips coming your way this morning on Next on the Tee. Thank you so much for being here and taking the journey with me over the next hour. Next on the Tee, as you know, we're sponsored by the French Lick Resort. What a great place that place is. Let's hear a word from our good friend, Steve Rondonera, about all the great things they've got going on up there. Play the courses the champions play. The Pete Dye and Donald Ross courses at French Lick Resort. The 2017 NCGOA National Course of the Year, our Pete Dye course hosts the first ever Senior LPGA Championship presented by Old National Bank this July. French Lick's Donald Ross course is looking good as it turns 100 this summer and hosts the Donald Ross Centennial Classic Symmetra Tour event. Book your golf vacation now at FrenchLick.com. Yeah, folks, be sure to go to FrenchLick.com to see for yourself how great it is and to book your stay. I tell you what, my family and I, we've been there. It is absolutely spectacular. And and the, and, and both the uh, Pete Dye and Donald Ross design courses are, are a treat to get to play. So FrenchLick.com to see for yourself. And speaking of great, over the last several months, you've heard me talking about the meteoric rise of the Bradley Putter Company from concept back, you know, last year on Black Friday to being one of the sensations at the PGA Merchandise Show back in January. Bradley Converse, the owner of Bradley Putters, he joined me back in January, and we're proud to be partnering with him and to promote their unique and outstanding line of putters. And they're made from burl wood, folks, and these aren't ornamental putters, I promise you. People are raving about both the look and the feel that the Bradley Putters have. They are custom-made based on the shape and the colors that you like. Go online to BradleyPutters.com to see how fantastic this new line of putters really is. Please also check out our friends over at the Bobby Jones Company. Folks, you know we're getting warmer, right? Just We're in the heart of spring and summer right around the corner. Time to give your, you know, your, uh, your wardrobe a fresh look with fresh colors and new additions that have genuine, enduring character. 
from new polo style shirts to long sleeve button down shirts to tech shorts that are ready to hit the links or any other warm weather outing you might be going to. The Bobby Jones brand will keep you feeling great and looking great either on the golf course or in the office. And when you place your order online, enter the promo code next on the T to get 10% off. So you can freshen up your wardrobe from an iconic brand, save a little money too. Go to bobbyjones.com and enter the promo code next on the T to freshen up your look for spring. Plus, while you're in a Bobby Jones frame of mind, go to bobbyjonesclubs.com to see the great line of drivers, fairway woods, and hybrids designed by one of the game's most influential equipment designers. That's Jesse Ortiz. Like his father, Lou, and Bobby Jones himself, Jesse has a passion for the game of golf and golf club design. Do you remember his great tri-wood or tri-metal fairway woods from his days back at Olimar? Well, now he's putting that same creativity and innovative designs to work creating great golf equipment for the Bobby Jones Company. Check them out online at bobbyjonesclubs.com. And I also want to give a shout-out to our friends over at Callaway Golf. Callaway has been the fastest-growing golf brand since 2013, and the Chrome Softball has been a major reason, you know, why that's happening. Chrome Soft, it's extremely fast, incredibly soft, and unbelievably easy to control, which is why guys like, you know, Phil Mickelson, Patrick Reed, Jim Furyk have all changed over to the Chrome Soft. You have to be willing to change to get better. Chrome Soft and the new Chrome Soft decks are in stores now. See what they can do for your game at CallawayGolf.com. Chrome Soft, it's the ball that changed the ball. All right, now back with me on the French Lick Resort guest line is Paul Rudin. Let me give you uh, some background on Paul. He is a master professional and the director of instruction at Ocean Edge Resort and, uh, and Golf Club up in Brewster, Massachusetts. He was inducted into the William Peterson University Athletic Hall of Fame in 1987. He was named the PGA Teacher of the Year for the Cape Cod Chapter in 2008. One of his students in the past is, you know, someone that's near and dear to my heart and Red Sox fans everywhere, and that's Heidi Watney. You've, you can see her now on the MLB channel, and I'm excited to have Paul back with me and next on the tee this morning. Good morning, Paul. Thanks for coming back on the show. Well, Chris, it's uh, good morning to you. It's a pleasure to be on with you and to be able to uh, reach out to the greatest audience in the world. I appreciate that very much. So, uh, Paul, it's, it's been a minute since we've had you on the show. Update us on, you know, what's going on with you. I know you're going to be heading back up to Ocean Edge here in the not-too-distant future. Talk about, you know, that golf course and, uh, and the things that you've been up to lately. Well, I, uh, I spend my winters down in, uh, in South Florida, and I live on North Hutchinson Island, which is beautiful. I'm looking out right now at the Atlantic Ocean under just clear blue skies, and uh, I play my golf at the PGA Golf Club in uh, Port St. Lucie, and uh, they're, they're just gorgeous golf courses, and it's just a great place. A lot of PGA professionals uh, go there for the winter, and it's uh, it's a lot of fun. And uh, my I'm heading back up in about 10 days back to Ocean Edge, which is a Jack Nicklaus redesign, and it is a gorgeous golf course, uh, so much character, uh, m- many sets of tees for all levels of ability, uh, and it's it's a uh, it's a really nice test of golf, and it's a fair test, and and it's just a lot of fun, um, and so I'll be heading back up there, and I'm anxious to get back with my students. There you go. So you know, Paul, as, as you know, as obviously as as the as the course suggests, Ocean Edge, right? You, you, I'm sure you got you know a lot of you know most of the days and times you're playing into you know different wind conditions and that sort of thing. And I wanted to get some you know tips from you when we happen to be faced you know with playing into into the wind. What are what are some tips that you can give us to, you know to hit better quality golf shots in those sort of conditions? Well, when you're playing into the wind, Chris. 
uh, you know, I've heard Nick Fouta say it on television, and, and I firmly believe this too. You have to check your ego and grab about maybe uh, you know if it's a normal seven iron shot, then get your five iron out, choke down, play the ball back in your stance, uh, take about a maybe a three quarter backswing and about a man I wouldn't even say more than a half a forward swing uh, through the impact zone. Maybe take the hands up to about waist high. And that's going to flight the ball down. Um, now, that's all well and good, but you have to practice these shots. So when you're on the range, use your practice time uh, to really work for you. If you can go out there some days when the wind is blowing in, work on these shots. So you get a feel for how far the ball travels in, in that, with that altered swing. Uh, I think that playing into the wind is easier than playing downwind uh, because when you play into the wind, you know the ball is going to check. Uh, uh, when it hits the green, downwind, uh, it's very difficult to get the ball to stop, and it's, it seems to be more out of control. Uh, you don't have as much control over a downwind shot as you do uh, an into-the-wind shot. And Paul, I guess, you know, what I want to be able to do with you is kind of work all the way through our golf swing to, to get a better idea from yeah. you for, you know, ways from, you know, whether we're warming up, getting ready, to play, go yeah. out and play, or, you know, trying to make some to sh- some short putts. And for, you know, the friends that you're going to be going back to see in the northern part of our country, right, places where they're yeah. just starting to dust off their golf clubs, right, for the season. How can we either get ourselves ready for the first round of the season, or, or what do you teach your students for, you know, the best way, you, you talk about being on the range, to warm up before their rounds of golf? Well, uh, you know, first of all, they – they should have used the last uh, four or five months off building up their strength and flexibility. Um, and I know a lot of my students have been doing that. I've been in touch with them. I would stress at the beginning of the year setting realistic expectation levels. You know, you've been off a while. Give yourself a break. Start out slowly. Short irons. Do some half swings off a tee. And not only do you have to wake up golf muscles, Chris, but you have to wake up your golf brain, too. Uh, so take a lesson, um, and I always stress uh, to make sure that your pro has video. Uh, if he doesn't, uh, he's either cheap or he doesn't care enough about you. Video is for the student, not the teacher. And uh, don't you know let somebody tell you, well, I can spot your flaws. The, the video is there for the student. Uh, it's a, it's a visual learning aid that is invaluable. Um, as far as a warm up routine. I would say first stretch your muscles. Uh, go online, look up muscle stretches for golf. Roger Fredericks has a great set of uh, DVDs out there for golf stretches. Uh, tight muscles don't work. You know, start from the ground up when you get to the golf course. Uh, use your golf cart if you have to as a uh, to help you balance and stretch your calves and your hamstrings, quads, hips, lats, uh, your chest, your shoulders. Uh, kind of hit your muscle groups from the ground up. And once you're stretched, uh, hit some wedges. Uh, the, the, the only thought when you first get to the range uh, before a round of golf is to find some tempo. So get a heavy club, and that's usually the heaviest club is the sand wedge. And make soft little swings with the sandwich and try to get your sequencing right. Um, you know, people ask me sometimes, uh, what's the most common swing problem uh, that people have with drivers? And I... To me, it's, it's, they go about trying to get club head speed the wrong way. They confuse swinging fast with swinging hard. 
And that will really uh, affect the, the sequencing of your golf swing. Golf, the golf swing is just a, a sequence of motion. To ha- they have to be done in the right order. So my tip for people when they're warming up, and it's early in the season or, or any time before a round, I think a great swing key is turn your shoulders on the backswing and your hips on the downswing. That's going to get your nice rotation going back with your shoulders. And then it also initiates the downswing with your lower body, which is what needs to start the swing forward. Um, what happens is people try to swing hard to achieve speed. And what they end up doing, Chris, is they will flail at the ball uh, with their hands and their arms. Uh, you know, we, we get a little quick at the top. You hear on TV they talk about, well, you hit that one from the top. They don't do it often on the tour, but... Uh, hitting from the top is a big no-no, and that comes from trying to swing hard. Uh, so learn to use your lower body to initiate that downswing, and I think that while you're working on the practice tee before the round with that sand wedge, try to really get your sequence correct. Uh, lower body leads the downswing. That's my mantra. When I get out there and I'm going to play a round of golf, that's my mantra. Get the lower body starting the downswing. Um, as far as yeah, reading putts, I would say that the, the biggest thing is know your environment. Um, you know, are, is it wet? Are the greens wet? Um, you know, are, are, are they fast? Are they, you know, what, what about grain? You know, down here in the south, grain, uh, uh, the grain of the greens, the way the grass grows, is, is, is a huge factor in how the putt's going to break or the speed of the putt. And remember this, too, that the speed that the ball rolls is going to affect the break more than anything. You know, a, a, a putt hit firmly and, and, and rolling fast is not going to break as much as a putt that dies into the hole. So know your uh, know your environment. Know what the green is giving you. And I, I'll tell people sometimes, Chris, that when they're walking up to the green, look at the overall contour of it. And so if they're in doubt at which, as to which way it breaks, um, the overall contour will give you the high point and the low point of the green, and that should help, uh, you know, kind of uh, solidify your, uh, you know, your perception or, or, or how you're going to go about judging the break of the green. Also, I'd walk halfway between the ball and the hole. Walk on the low side. Um, you know, establish what's the low side of the hole. Which way is the ball going to break down to? And get on that side and walk halfway to the hole. It gives you a much better perspective of the overall break. Um, so, I mean, you know, I, I, I would, uh, also say, you know, if, if you're, use the right equipment, uh, you know, this is the time of year, Chris, uh, that you can make that commitment to your game. And so go out and get a, you know, get fit, uh, get a fit, you know, get a fitting from, uh, a, the companies are great nowadays. They go right to your course with their vans and uh, their fitting vans. You go to a, a demo day at your club or your uh, wherever you play golf. They do it at driving ranges too, and get a fitting. Uh, play clubs that are built right for you. You know, you wouldn't walk into a clothing store and, and buy a suit without getting a right fit. So it's the same with golf equipment. It really does affect your motion. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I would, I would so much that. there, Paul, to to react to. I want to get your thoughts on it, and, and I want to get back to being fit here in just a second. But, you know, as you, yeah. as you talk about the greens, and I, and I think you make a really good point. I think, you know, a lot of times, and I'm, you know, speaking for myself and, you know, my buddies, right, when we're out playing, mm-hmm. 
right? Whether you know when you're hit when you hit your second shot, you know towards the green, you know you walk away, you get back in the golf cart, and it's like we shut our brains off for yeah. however many you know seconds or minutes until we get to the green. But I think you make a really good point. You know, to you know, as we're walking up towards the green or driving up towards the green, whatever we're doing, you know, to really keep engaged with the, you know, with the shot, be able to, you know, look at the green, assess which way it's going. And you talk about grain, and I think that's something that not enough of us know about. Talk about, you know, that piece when we get, when we're walking towards yeah. the green, you know, looking for the slopes and the undulations, and what does grain actually mean? Well, the grain is the way that the, you know, the grass is growing. So the way to identify what the grain, you know, which way the grain is going is if it's shiny, the grass is growing away from you, which means that the ball is going to roll faster. If the grain is dull and darker, you're hitting into the grain, which is going to really reduce the speed. So you have to adjust accordingly. Um, you know, if it's if the grain is with you, then the ball is going to be rolling faster. So it means you have to hit it softer which means it's going to break more. So all these factors um, come into play, you know, uh, and if it's, you know, if it's into the grain, you got to slug it a little bit. So, you know, I would, I, I would be very conscious, especially down south with the grain. Now, you can play some older golf courses up in the north, and the grain will affect the ball as well. Um, so, yeah, that's a, grain's a huge factor. And, you know, you mentioned getting fit, and we talk about that a lot on this show, the importance of getting fit. Scott Felix, who's a wonderful friend of the show and a top 100 fitter, always talks about, you know, fitting isn't for professionals, right? It's for, you know, if, if you know, for us that are 10, 15, 20, you know, 25 handicaps, you know, it's more important for us to get fit than it is, you know, for, for the professionals because we'll see a greater difference, you know, in our games by getting fit. Talk about how you assess you know, whether we have the, you know, the right set of clubs, the right fit for us. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, because fitting is not only for, you know, golf clubs anymore. It's also for the golf balls. How do you how do you assess what is the right fitting and what is the right set of clubs and what's the right golf ball for our games? Boy, I, I'll tell you what, it's uh, it, sight and sound. I, I watch the ball flight. I see a consistent pattern. I listen. If I hear reverberation, uh, you know, I like to use face tape on the face of the golf club to see where the ball is hitting in a consistent pattern. Um, you know, if the, if the ball keeps hitting out on the toe, the club's too flat. Um, you know, you're going to hit the ball to the right quite a bit. If it's too much toward the neck, you're going to be pulling a lot of shots or the club's too upright. Uh, yeah, so it, it's, you have to have the right set of clubs and your, and your friend is right. It is going to affect uh, the mid, you know, the, the regular amateur more than it is the pro. A pro can basically adapt um, to anything, um, but boy, oh boy, you get a uh, you get an amateur out there. He's going his swing is going to be really adversely affected by uh, improperly fitted golf clubs. No doubt about that. Uh, as far as fitting for a ball, uh, another gigantic factor in the game of golf, and I have constantly amazed at the juniors out there who insist on playing, you know, these pro V ones and all the, you know, the hard, hard ball that the, that the tour pros play uh, when they would be much better uh, uh, suited to a ball with a, you know, a much softer golf ball that they can compress um, and women as well and seniors, uh, men and women 
Uh, use a ball. If you have an under, a, a swing compact speed of under 105 miles an hour, which is pretty fast considering the two air, two air average is about 108, that you should not be using that, you know, that hard ball. Use a softer golf ball. And all the companies now offer softer golf balls, which is great. Uh, and they're all quality balls. Use a ball that's going to help you. Once again, Chris, I get back to check your ego. You know, uh, I don't need to play the Pro V uh, if I'm, uh, you know, swinging at maybe 90 miles an hour with my driver. Uh, I will be better served with a lower compression or, you know, a golf ball I can compress. So, yeah, that's a big deal. Um, right. Yeah, I, I yeah, I really, I really uh, uh, am a big believer in the ball. It's very important. I have a there's a, a woman down here. Uh, she's won the club championship PJ Golf Club about I don't know 17 times or something, and she switched to a lower compression golf ball. She's gotten an extra 20 yards. So that's how dramatic uh, the golf ball's effect is on your game. And yeah. you know, and and to all of those points, you know, let's let's talk about you know mistakes that you see us make. You know, we amateurs make particularly. You know, let's start off with the driver. What are some of the things that you see us do, whether it's in our swings, our approach, or that sort of thing, that really, you know, you think, you think, boy, mm-hmm. you know, if we could fix this piece off the driver, you're going to have much more success and get in the fairway more often. Yes. Well, I think you know we we all have a little bit of the caveman in us, and we all want to kill. Uh, and so we have to listen. I'm all for club head speed. I want my students to swing fast. I want that club head blazing through the hitting area, but I want them to get it the right way. And so it goes back to the sequencing properly, making your lower body do the, do the bulk of the work on the forward swing as we bring the club into the hitting zone. Uh, uh core rotation. Once again, you know, Get in the gym, work on your abs, work on the core, uh, get stronger, get more flexible. That all adds to club head speed. See, Chris, what happens is the, the brain seeks power. <laughs> doesn't matter what you do, it's going to seek power. So we have to be able to identify what is the proper source for the power when we swing a golf club. In our flailing of arms in our hands. The power comes from our core. And I would like to say from maybe the uh, just the top of the belly button to the top of the knees, if we can learn how to use that part of our body to rotate it uh, uh, firmly and fast through the hitting area, um, we're, we're going we're to really in, improve our ball striking. Uh, it's when we get to the top of our swing and our hands and our club shaft at the top move east and west and not south, uh, that's when we get into trouble. And what I mean by that is when you get to the top of your golf swing, the first thought or the first motion or move that should happen with your body is that your left hip needs to activate. It needs to move. Okay? But what most golfers do is they get to the top of their swing and their hands move, and they move toward the target line, out and over the golf ball. And that's why so many people, such a high percentage of amateur players, hit across the golf ball from outside to in, Hit big slices or pulls, and uh, you know, so they could really change that whole thing if they would just practice and try to get the sequencing right. Let the lower body do its thing. And Paul, since most of the game is played from a hundred yards in, what are a couple of tips that you have that can help us? Whether it's we're pitching the ball or we're chipping it when we're closer around the green, how can we get the ball closer to the hole? Well, uh, that's. Uh, that, that's where, what it's all about, isn't it? I mean, from 
I think somebody said from 50 yards and into the hole is 75% of the game of golf. Uh, you know, you go to any golf course, Chris, and you see people pounding golf balls on the range because it's more fun. And there's nobody at the short game area where it should be reversed. So first thing I would say is practice accordingly. 75% of your practice should be on the short game, putting, chipping, pitching, uh, sand play. And 25% hitting golf balls on the range with full swings. Uh, the next thing is, a guy once told me a long time ago, Chris, have the courage to hit pitch shots, the high little lofty shot. Have the courage to hit them hard enough. We tend to decelerate. We, we decelerate on those shots more than any other. And that's where you get the chunks and the blade jobs around the, the green that really hurt the scorecard, as we know. So uh, learn to go ahead and be have a nice crisp, almost like you're striking a match through impact uh, with that club. And, and you'll build confidence, but you have to practice it. Uh, practice and technique equal feel in my book. Um, that's what I believe. And so, you know, get out there 75% practice on short game. I would also like to say, putt when you can. The putter, uh, I mean, a lot of the juniors, I just, I shake my head and I have to really kind of explain to these kids, uh, you know, they all want to hit flop shots around the green because it looks great. And sometimes just a straight ahead chip with a seven iron or a putt but that would suffice and do the job a whole lot better. I mean, Arnold Palmer used to say that your, was it your, your worst chip is going to be a lot worse than your worst putt. So uh, you know, use the putter when you can, chip if you can't putt, and if you can't chip, uh, then pitch. Uh, pitching is difficult, like I say, because you have to add loft to the shot, and in order to add loft, you have to swing a little harder, and when you swing harder, the margin of error um, uh, increases. So practice, 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 75%. Paul, just a couple more before we let you go. And as you talk about, yeah. you know, putting, you know, when you're on the green and we're faced with those, you know, knee knockers, those three to four footers, right? You know, to save par, mm-hmm. make, you know, make a birdie, whatever it might be. What's a tip for how we can keep, you know, keep our heads still, make the majority mm-hmm. of those putts and save ourselves a couple of strokes? Well, I think the best, the best thing to do, first of all, once again, the reason we miss those is because we're not confident in what we're doing. So once again, it goes back to practice. And you can practice in the house. You can practice on the putting green, wherever. But what I always suggest is either get some spray paint, make a dot on the green, a small dot about the size of a dime, or imagine a dot, a colored dot, maybe red or blue, under your golf ball. And when you hit the putt, continue to look down at the dot or the imaginary dot. We tend to follow the golf ball with our eyes when we putt. When we don't know what we're doing, we're anxious. So we look up. And uh, that's, all that is, Chris, is a bad habit. And so we need to change that habit. It's uh, it's not insurmountable. This is something that's very doable. And once again, it's doable through practice. So watch the dot and don't watch the ball. Just watch the dot under the ball after the ball is gone, and you'll make a ton of putts. And Paul, if we, if you could give us an advice, you know, one swing thought, right? As we're, whether it's, you know, on the tee, you know, and we're teeing off or we're in the, you know, middle of the fairway or whatever we're doing, one swing thought, you know, be, before we let you go, what, what would that one thing be that you would want us to keep in mind? You know, that's a, that's a good question. I, I will say this. Swing thoughts will change from day to day. They can change from nine to nine. <laughs> Um, even the great Lanny Watkins, who looked like he was just swinging with reckless abandon, had a swing spot. So you do need one. 
And uh, like I say, it changes from today, day to day. I would say <clears throat> that I would, I try to make sure that I get all of my weight onto the outside of my left heel and with my hands high up over my left shoulder at the finish. If I can swing to a good finish, and if I can start in a good address position, what happens in between is usually okay. It's it's usually not going to hurt me. So I would say make sure your, your, your setup is good, and then as far as a swing thought goes, try to swing into a nice, balanced finish where all of your weight is transferred, and uh, uh, that should really uh, uh, probably do it for you. You don't want a lot of complicated thoughts when you're swinging. And then, of course, go to the driving range, Chris, and you'll see people laboring and sweating over thoughts and uh, it's, it's just not worth it it's, it's counterproductive paul before we let you go remind our listeners how can they stay up to date with all the things that you're doing follow you either online or over social media as well well i i have a page on uh, facebook and uh, i have a uh, website that is uh it's in the process of uh, being recouped it has been hacked and, and wiped so uh, my website, paulredeen.com, will be up and running again soon. Um, they can reach me at the Ocean Edge Resort, and I offer uh, nice half-day golf schools, and uh, uh, that's where we – it's comprehensive. We use uh, video analysis. We work an hour on short game, an hour on full swing with video, and then we do a two-hour playing lesson, and the players can go out and they can finish their round on their own, and I will leave them with a video of their swing with my voiceover. Uh, that's a very popular uh, uh, program that I run, uh, but they can get me at the resort at OceanEdge.com, um, or they can call the the resort. And like you said earlier, Paul, thank great. you. So- it's a yeah, yeah, it is. It's so, fantastic. It's a it's a great place. <laughs> you know, um, Paul, you know, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your morning to come back and be a part of the show. I hope you'll come back. And do it again sometime soon. Share more of your insights, more of your tips. It's been fantastic to get some of your time today. Well, thank you, Chris. It's been my pleasure. And uh, a shout-out to all those brave uh, men and women in our armed services. They they're just they, they let us do what we want to do back here, and it's, uh, it's quite a sacrifice, and I appreciate it, and I hope everybody does. Yeah, absolutely right. Thank you so much for saying that. Paul, again, thanks for your time. Look forward to catching up with you uh, again real soon in between now and then. All the best to you and your family, my friend. Thank you very much, Chris, and to you as well. Thanks, Paul. That is Paul Rudine. Again, check him out. You know, hopefully he gets his site back up, uh, you know, real soon. And I was checking it this morning, so parts of it are. It's uh, a lot of great lessons, a lot of great strategies, and uh, really good stuff from Paul. And can't thank him enough for being a part of the show. Hopefully we get the opportunity to have him uh, back again here real soon. All right, before I get to my next guest, Tom Stickney, I want to give a shout-out to our friends over at the PGA Tour Superstore. Folks, for a fun, interactive experience and the best selection of golf clubs, apparel, and gear for golfers of all levels, check out our friends at the PGA Tour Superstore. Whether you're a pro or a beginner, they're your one-stop shop for great golf deals and, you know, all of your golfing needs, really. You can save a little time by shopping online and placing your order at PGATourSuperstore.com. See why golfers everywhere are proud to call PGA Tour Superstore their golf pro shop. I also want to remind you about our friends over at the Orange Whip, makers of the Orange Whip Trainer. And, folks, if you haven't checked out the Orange Whip yet, please, you got to go check this thing out. 
you know, if you're looking for a great, great way to limber up before your rounds, improve your club head speed, or just get your swing back intact, if you, you know, if you're like our friends up north and you're just, you know, able now to start dusting off your golf clubs, well, then you really need to check out the Orange Whip. Folks, there isn't a better way to loosen up and get prepared than by swinging the Orange Whip. My father, 73 years old, he plays five days a week. He's using the Orange Whip to loosen up before his rounds. It's helping me loosen up before my rounds, plus improving my club head speed. I'm telling you, folks, I swing that thing 50 to 100 times a day, and it's really helping me get through the ball a whole lot better. Take a look at what a great training training aid that it is, and I wouldn't say, folks, like I say, if it wasn't if I wasn't using it myself. So go online to see for yourself at OrangeWhipTrainer.com. And folks, you know how we like to keep things positive here on Next on the T and have have a positive approach both in life and while you're out on the golf course. Well, you know we're partnering with great folks over at SyncIt.com. You know what a wonderful you know phrase and a positive thought to keep in your mind whether you're out on the golf course or just you know, in your everyday life, they've got a great line of t-shirts and hats that helps you do that. You know, to win any golf tournament, you got to sink the final putt. We wake up every day to finish strong, sink the putt, close the deal, work hard, whatever it is, right? Get better each and every day. Have the confidence to push forward towards your dreams with unwavering passion, and you're going to sink it in life. Check out their great line of apparel and other things online at sinkit.com. All right, now joining me on the French Lick Resort guest line is Tom Stickney. And let me give you some background on Tom. He is a golf magazine top 100 instructor, and he was a part of their top 20 teachers under 40. Golf, Tip, golf Tips Magazine also named him a top 25 instructor. The Golf Machine Organization awarded him a doctorate degree in the principles and applications of the golf swing back in 2004. He's published over 125 articles across a wide, you know, selection of different publications. He's been on the cover of Golf Digest, Japan Golf Today, Golf Magazine, Golf Tips, Golf Illustrated, Golf for Women, Senior Golfer, and several others as well. He's currently the Director of Operations at Vedanta Golf Academy at the Vedanta Nuevo Vallarta Resort down in Mexico, which looks absolutely spectacular, folks. i got a Jack Nicklaus and a Greg Norman design golf course down there, and I'm excited to have Tom with me and next on the tee this morning. Good morning, Tom. Thanks for coming on the show. Well, that was quite the introduction. I tell you what, uh, I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. So, Tom, you've got an amazing background, obviously, you know, from your introduction. You've taught at some of the most beautiful golf and country clubs from around the U.S., now down in Mexico, places like the Promontory Club up in Utah, Bighorn Golf Club out in Palm Desert, California, of course, you know, where you're at now. Talk about the places you've been and the golf courses you've been associated with. You know, I've been very fortunate in my career. Uh, you know, I always I started off in Memphis, and as, as anybody that knows me, and as most golfers uh, know, I, I absolutely disdain cold weather. Can't stand it. The hotter it is, the happier I am. I probably should have been born and raised in Death Valley. Um, and so I always looked at it, um, where could I go that was warmer? And so, you know, when you're in Memphis, the only place people go is, uh, is Florida. So I went to Sandestin Golf and Beach Resort for uh, seven years. And that was all, that was great. It was down in the panhandle, but it still got a little cold. So then I transferred down to Naples, Florida for a couple of years. And then I started splitting my time uh, between the summers and winters in Naples. And then I was at the uh, Vail, Vail, Colorado at the club at Cordillera and then split my time between Cordillera and, uh, Southern California. And then I got the job here. So I've gotten a chance to, to experience all the wonderful places from, uh, you know, four or five golf course resorts all the way to, you know, like Big Horde, uber, uber private, 
um, you know, membership clubs and, and, and a golfing mecca like, like, uh, Palm Desert. So I've been very, very fortunate. And then to get a chance to come down here to Mexico where it never gets cold and the weather's always perfect. And, uh, the, the living is great. So I've been, uh, I've been incredibly fortunate. So, uh, I can't say enough good things about, uh, about being lucky in my career. And Tom, you know, Bighorn Golf Club, as you talk about, you know, what a private golf course that that is, but they've hosted several events there, you know, including the Skins game. They had legends from the PGA and the LPGA Tour have been through there. Have you had an opportunity to be around some of those players uh, while you were there? Yeah, it was, you know, it was funny. Um, you know, in my career, you know, professional golfers didn't come to to, to Sandusman and, and, and the club I was at in Naples and, and Cordillera, you know, they were just, they were more of a, they were great, all great golf courses, but you know, they, they, they didn't ever make it down there. So, you know, you'd see the occasional person, but no big name. Uh, and then when I moved out to California, um, you know, we had, uh, let's see, Michelle Wee was a member, Annika Sorenstam was a member, Jim Colbert, uh, and, and then I got a good chance to interact with, uh, William McGirt. And, uh, so he became a member, John Ram's a member. So it was pretty interesting just to spend some time with, with those particular players. Lee Trevino's a member. Um, you know, so we got a chance to, to, to be around those guys. And then a lot of times they bring their friends out. And so all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're, you look over there and you're playing golf with Ricky Fowler and, and, and then somebody needs to fill out their foursome, you know, with say Repock and, and, you know, so I got a chance to spend a lot of time around some, some, some of the more notable names, you know, at least in my world, uh, out at Bighorn and it was really a treat to see you know how just solid they are you know it's not you know I I assume when you play with Dustin Johnson and he hits at 150 yards high you on the driver you just go you know that's just something I can't do but when you play with you know some other people and you see that that they they hit it a little bit further than you do they hit it a little bit closer than you do and they make a few more putts It, it doesn't seem outside the realm of possibilities, you know, that you say, well, maybe one day I could play around like that, but it's, uh, it's just amazing how solid players are. They just don't make mistakes. And, and when you do that, you know, obviously if you keep it around the, around the fairway, around the green, you're not going to make too many big numbers as long as you keep your emotions in check. So Tom, from being around, you know, some of the players that you just named off, any favorite stories, any, you know, pieces of advice that, you know, they shared with you that, uh, that you enjoy sharing with your buddies or your family and friends? You know, one of the, uh, one of the more interesting stories, I was doing a putting lesson and, uh, Michelle Wee was on the, the, the putting green and it was right after she had won her for one of her first tournaments, um, years and years ago. And her dad was holding a little a little stick kind of pointing out the break as she was hitting a few putts and her mom was, was right there. And her mom said, uh, uh-uh, and she moved the stick and then her dad moved the stick back and then Michelle moved the stick. So the three of them are having an argument over which way this putt breaks. And it was, and it was just very insightful how, you know, the dynamic of, of, of golfers, uh, as, as, as they've got, as they are when they're younger, you know, it, it becomes much more, you know, a family oriented thing, you know, and it's, uh, you know, there's been a lot of detractions about Michelle and a lot of things about, you know, maybe her family's too involved, maybe her family's not, you know, this, that, and the other. But it was, I kind of looked at it as the opposite. You know, here they are over a putt, arguing over which way these things break. And then it, it was almost where, 
they all cared so much that they, they just wanted to make it work. It was, uh, it was an interesting thing. So it was kind of funny to see that. Um, you know, the, the funniest, the funniest thing that I, I think I've seen was, uh, when one of our owners at Bighorn owns the uh, Edmonton Oilers and every year they come out for a thing. Um, I did see two guys from the Edmonton Oilers get in a fight on the green and break three rental clubs over each other's shins. So that was, that was probably my, <laughs> my favorite story as far as that I see. <laughs> you got to work pretty hard to snap a wedge over somebody's shin, but, uh, yeah, that's, no that's about the only good thing. I've seen. So uh, Tom, I love your YouTube channel and the playing lessons that you have available out on YouTube. I'd like to go through some of those with you so you can help, you know, me and our listeners, you know, perhaps save a few strokes the next time we're out playing. And first, a place that I struggle is, you know, is hitting off an uphill or a side hill lie, particularly, you know, when you're, you know, when I'm 100, 125 yards out and I have a pitching wedge or a sand wedge in my hands. How can we do a better job of striking that ball more cleanly and, uh, you know, getting the ball closer to the hole? You know, that's, that's probably one of the biggest, uh, issues that we see, uh, from the instructional side, even from, from single digit players on these, those uphill lies. You know, obviously you're on an uphill lie, you've got a, you know, 120 or so in the green, the wind might be blowing, the head might be in the back. And what always happens, you know, you stand there, you hit the ball a little bit higher than normal. Uh, and obviously it comes up short. You know, the, the ability to get the ball back to the pin or to the pin for that matter is, is really, really difficult. So, you know, one of the greatest tricks um, that I learned from uh, Chuck Evans, a longtime uh, friend and, and, and instructor uh, for the golfing machine, is he showed me how by moving the spine laterally, you can influence uh, the golf ball. And what I mean by that is on this uphill lie, you know, they usually say, okay, lean your spine with the slope. So if you're on an uphill lie, obviously you might, you would lean your shoulders back to the right. Well, Yes, that's okay, uh, and that'll give you a certain trajectory. But if you're trying to get it back to the pin, and you know your propensities are to keep or to hit the ball a little short. If you take your spine and you lean it maybe center to maybe into the slope just a touch, all of a sudden you'll deliver the club shaft with a little bit more forward lean. You'll deal off that club head a little bit, uh, the club base a little bit, and you'll get a little bit more penetrating, boring trajectory. Um, and that is a way that you can you can really you know, knock the ball down and control it into, uh, into the green on those more uphill lies. I think that's probably one of the most valuable tips I can give golfers is experiment with your spine angle. Obviously you can take it too much, but, but if you can do that, you can really change the trajectory and the flight and the control of those balls off the, uh, off those uphill lies. And Tom, you have a, a another wonderful video about chip shots and how to use the slope of the green to our advantage. I was amazed watching you on that video. In the video, you show a really big green that slopes severely from right to left, the pin tucked at the bottom of the slope down in the flat area, which is protected by a bunker in front of the greens. Now, when I looked at that video, I, you know, what I said, you know, thought to myself how I would play that hole is I would be trying to aim, you know, at the flat spot of that, you know, of the green where the, where the pin is at, you know, hoping to hit over that bunker, somehow keep it on the green. Now, I know the likelihood of pulling off that shot in that small area isn't great and you know the, the idea of you know leaving it short and putting it in that green side bunker having it hit on the green and then bound over is is probably very likely but you show how we can use the that slope that big slope to our advantage and get it close to the hole talk about how we can do that yeah and you know 
a lot of it depends, uh, quite frankly, on the on the speed of the greens in which you play. Um, in my career, uh, early career, being in Florida for ten years, you know, obviously we didn't have the the, the speed of the greens uh, that we had out west. So a lot of those shots in Florida, um, especially South Florida, with the greens running, you know, eight, nine, ten on the stunt meter, and uh, it was a little tougher to pull off some of those shots as I started to move out west, especially in Vail, Park City, and, and California. Green speeds came up, a lot of more slopes. So first thing you have to look at is, is the, the, the green complex itself, you know, the, the hills, uh, or excuse me, the slopes on the greens themselves. Uh, as well as the overall speed on the greens. Obviously, the faster the greens are, you know, the easier it is to pull these things off. But you have to realize that golfers are conditioned to look at the pin. Um, we're all focused in on where that pin is. And we have been conditioned through many, many shots on a practice green and a practice facility green that usually is pretty flat. So what do you do? You throw it up right around the pin or, or pretty close in a flat area, and voila, it's a good shot. Um, on the golf course, you have to have imagination and you know all too often uh people have lacked using their imagination uh your previous guest was talking about telling the kids you know in his short game what to do and 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 that is very very true you have to look at a range of shots you know one of the greatest examples um especially in that video was a shot where these you could play it three different ways number one you could hit it just like you did you were talking about hit it into the flat spot right at the pin. Um, you could also hit it out to the left and let it funnel down or hit it out to the right and let it funnel down. And you have to look at what you're most comfortable doing and what the percentages are and where you want to leave the ball uh, on the green as far as the putt's concerned. So, I, you know, I encourage people to go experiment. The, practicing can be mundane at best, but if you go find situations and, and things where you have to use your imagination, you know, it becomes a heck of a lot more fun, and and it makes you play better in the process. Tom, you also have a video out there talking about you know the safety flop shot, right? A shot that you know not many of us are good at. You know, we we you know we can hit a flop shot, you know, either you know over a bunker onto the green or up to a slope to a pin, and you know not much to work with, and give ourselves a chance to make par and your safety piece or. What often, you know, oftentimes, you know, happens, we try to, you know, we think we're Phil Mickelson and we can hit this, you know, really high flop shot. It's going to land on the green. You know, we're going to make this putt, you know, and not many of us can pull that shot off. You talk about, you know, how, you know, your, your, your safety flop shot and how we can give ourselves a chance to, you know, maybe it's a seven to 10 footer to save par. Maybe the, at worst we walk away with bogey because we hit a bad shot and we put ourselves in a bad position. And sometimes you just got to take your medicine and move forward, but we don't want to walk away with six or seven. No question. Um, you know, there's, there's nothing that, that, that can piss you off quicker um, than coming into a, a, you know, a green chance to get up and down for par and walking off at a six because you, you tried to get cute. Um, we've all done it and we've all walked to the next tee shaking our heads, but, Sometimes you have to take your licks, and it's so easy to say and so hard to do. Um, I, I, I tell people, I said, look, you know, a prime example, you're short-sided, you're behind a bunker, but right over the bunker, the green is running away from you. So obviously the ball is going to hit, and it's going to skid forward, uh, and it's not going to stop close to the hole unless you hit, you know, the, the Phil Mickelson super flop, and it comes down almost vertically. Um, here again, I, I tell people this. Um, a, it is a game. 
okay, so if you're going out with your buddies, you're drinking beer, you're carrying on, you're gambling, your partner's up there for par, you know, and he's going to make a certain par, have a blast. Try to hit that super flop shot and laugh it off if you dump it in the front of the bunker or, or you bone it over the back of the green. You know, it, it, it is a game. However, if you're playing for score and you're going to put a pencil to the scorecard and the, then the, the score you make at the end of the day is going to determine your uh, mental outlook for the rest of the day and how you emotionally handle going home to your wife and kids, then uh, you need to play it a little bit differently. And with a safety flop shot, it's just that. Yeah, you need to keep it reasonably around the hole. I didn't say dump it on the green and have a 40-footer that you could possibly three-putt, but you know, trying to leave it a foot from the hole with a lot of risk and dumping it on the green and having yourself within 20 feet where you probably shouldn't three-putt, uh, provided you leave yourself in the right position, are two different things. So we can all hit a reasonable flop shot to get it reasonably around the hole. Um, when you have one of those impossible shots and you elect, it, uh, elect not to play the super flop shot, make sure you play that safety flop. Dump it on the green somewhere where you have a – you know, a, a putt that you maybe could make, you have a chance to make, but you certainly won't three putt. And that's really the whole thing of the safety flop. It's just putting it on the green, taking your taking your one or two putt, making no worse than both, going to the next hole, and, and just saying, you know what, I put myself in a bad position uh, with my second shot. Tom, before we let you go, tell our listeners how they can, you know, follow you, you know, both online and over social media and, and see more of the, you know, wonderful teaching videos that you have available out there on your YouTube channel. Well, thank you. Uh, you can always reach me at TomStickneyGolf.com. That's S-T-I-C-K-N-E-Y, TomStickneyGolf.com, where you can go directly to my YouTube channel. Um, you can follow me at, at TomStickneyGolf on Twitter. And that's probably the easiest way to get me an email, obviously, Tom Stickney, or excuse me, Tom's at TomStickneyGolf.com. So I'm pretty easily found. Not too many Stickneys in the golf world, so you'll be able to, uh, to Google my name and find me if you can't, uh, if you can't remember all those addresses. Tom, thank you so much, you know, for being a part of the show oh. today. I mean, so many more things Anytime. I want to get into with you because you're such a great, you know, in- instructor. I hope you'll come back and join me again soon so we can get uh, more of your playing tips and more of your insights because it's been fantastic spending some time with you today. Absolutely. Anytime. It'll be a pleasure to come on anytime you'd like. Have a great day. Thank you for thinking of me. All right, Tom. Take care. All the best to you and your family. Yes, sir. That is. That is Tom Stickney again. He spells his last name S-T-I-C-K-N-E-Y. And, folks, I'm telling you, take a look at his YouTube channel. So many great tips and instructions for how to, you know, hit better shots and, you know, alignment and chips and putts and so many great things out there. you got to go check it out. He's, uh, he's fantastic. Look forward to getting Tom back on the show again, hopefully real soon. All right, before I get to my next guest, David Abelis, I want to send out a big thank you to our good friends over at Podbean for making Next on the Tee and our sister show on the football side, Thursday Night Tailgate, regularly featured podcast both on their website and on their mobile app as well. You can see us featured there, right there on their homepage, as well as in their sports and recreation section. We really appreciate their support and what they're doing to promote our shows. It means a great deal to us. If you're listening to this show as a podcast, well, we hope you're doing it via the Podbean podcasting app. And on their app, you can get instant updates every time we publish new episodes. It's free. It's got a lot of great features to let you easily discover, listen, and even publish a podcast for yourself if you like. Whether you use an Android or an iPhone, Podbean is the app for your podcasting needs. Get it now on the Google Play or Apple App Store so you can enjoy more of the you know podcasts that you love. And we hope two of them are next on the T and Thursday Night Tailgate. 
Again, pod, podbean.com. All right, now joining me on the French Lick Resort guest line is the president and CEO of TaylorMade Adidas Golf, David Abelese. Let me give you some more background on David. Earned his uh, degree in marketing and finance from the University of Connecticut. He joined uh, TaylorMade as a general manager for the Asia-Pacific division back in 1998. He later moved over to be the director of sales for North America. He left TaylorMade for a Titleist and the Akushnet company back in 2001 to become their vice president of sales and marketing. Came back to TaylorMade as their executive vice president and general manager in 2008, and he took over as their chief executive officer and president back in February of 2015. And I'm thrilled to have him as uh, part of the show this morning. Good morning, David. Thanks for joining me. Chris, good morning. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it very much. It's a heck of an introduction. I kind of go by uh, the fact that I'm just an old school golf club salesman, so that would have been just fine as well. <laughs> I appreciate that. Maybe we'll use that next time. So <laughs> save you a little, save you David, a little bit. David, I always like to start out with new guests to the show by going back to you know your beginnings in the game. When did you first fall in love with golf, and who was the first person to put a golf club in your hands? Yeah, Chris, thanks. You know, I think all of us that are in this great sport and around the game have a have a starting point somewhere where they were inspired or connected to this great game in a, in a pretty unique way. I grew up back east, actually. I'm, I'm in Southern California now where our offices are here at TaylorMade. Uh, but I grew up back east in the middle of Connecticut. Uh, there were a couple of uh, young men that lived next door to us uh, in suburban Hartford and uh, Mark and Michael Starin, and they were older than I was, about six or eight years older than I was, and said, hey, uh, you look like a, a nice young kid. Why don't you come play golf with us? And uh, anyway, my, my early start was with them and lost a few dollars for them, as you can imagine, until I, I earned my stripes <laughs> and learned to play the game a little bit and then ultimately earned it back. But, you know, I, I think a lot about, and I get asked quite frequently how we can continue to grow this great game, and I think about my beginnings. The simplest way is those that are in it simply ask somebody that isn't to come along with them. And and that was my start. And then from there, I I fell in love with the game, everything about it, not just the competitive aspects of the game, uh, certainly uh, the values that are that are steeped in, in this terrific game, and then ultimately uh, what it meant to, to my life professionally uh, moving forward. So I've been very, very fortunate to be around golf for the better part of the last uh, 35, 40 years. And David, you know, growing up, were there players out on tour that you really admired or idolized? Yeah, absolutely. You know, Tom Watson was always one of my favorites. I I modeled my golf swing, although I never got to the point where it looked quite like his <laughs> or performed quite like his. Uh, but I uh, I remember his run at the British Open in the 80s, which was fantastic. And uh, I enjoyed the way he carried himself on the golf course and importantly played the game. Uh, and, uh, and, and there were several other players. I grew up caddying at the Greater Hartford Open, which is now the Travelers Insurance Open outside of Hartford, Connecticut and Cromwell. Uh caddied for a, a tour professional named Mark Hayes. Uh, in a in a pairing with Lee Trevino at the time, and Mark was a tailor-made staff member at the time, and Lee Trevino was in our Meadowwoods back in uh, in the eighties as well. So uh, I had a connection to our brand, ironically, Chris, very very early in my career, uh, and very very early in my life in golf. And so I I really watched those players from afar and, and enjoyed the way they played the game uh, in, in very in a very different fashion. And certainly as as modern golf and contemporary golf started to progress into the nineties and two thousands to lead us where we are today, I've had a series of athletes that I've I've been, I've I've admired greatly. And David, talk about, you know, your your start actually in the industry itself. How'd you go from graduating with your degree in marketing and finance from the University of Connecticut and then catching on with TaylorMade? Yeah, it's an interesting story, Chris. You know, many of us uh, get classically trained at university to come out of school, and some of us know what we want to do. Others of us don't know what we want to do, and I'm sure many of your listeners are probably nodding their head right now saying precisely 
Uh, I, I was, uh, I was inspired quite a bit by my father as a kid. My father's a scientist of all things, uh, a PhD in physics and chemistry, and my mother's a psychologist. So you can imagine the dynamics in, in my house. Everything has to be fact based on the scientific side and everything is emotional on, on the, on the psych side. Uh, but I went to school actually to play basketball at University of Connecticut and realized very quickly as I walked on the team there, uh, that one, I didn't have the size, two, I didn't have the talent, and three, I certainly wasn't going to play, <laughs> get any minutes. Uh, so I turned my attention to golf, and I had played competitive golf at a junior level and through high school and, and then ultimately into university. Uh, but one of the things that really stuck with me uh, and still does to this day when I, I mentor or speak with younger kids at our company uh, or individuals outside of our company that, that have aspirations to fulfill an ambition in their respective career, my father used to say to me, if you can make your passion your vocation, you'll wake up every day and you'll absolutely love what you do. And it will never be a job and it'll be, never be work because it'll be embedded in your day-to-day activities as part of your life. And it's important to you, so you'll enjoy your work even that much more. And so I, I realized very quickly as I worked my way through college, um, caddying, like many of us that got into this industry, worked my way through school, uh, selling golf clubs at a retail store for a, a former club professional named Mark Blair, uh, that I fell in love with the game. And I also fell in love with the business of the game. And so when I got out of school, I was classically trained to head down to New York City, like most of my friends, uh, to trade on Wall Street. And ironically, I actually accepted a role coming out of school with a small brokerage firm down in Wall Street. And I was heading down to New York City uh, when a phone call came in from this individual that I worked for at retail. And he said, how would you, cons- how would you uh, view or consider staying in the golf business and starting to build a career here? So that's where my start was. And, and I, I followed that advice and have to this day that if any of us, uh, fall in love with something that we do, and we can make that into something in and around our profession uh, or make it part of our vocation. Uh, the likelihood of success, in my opinion, humbly, uh, is a lot uh, is a lot higher than it would be otherwise. So that was my start, and I started selling golf clubs uh, early in, in the mid-90s, 1994-95, with TaylorMade, and had the good fortune to work my way through this industry over the past 20 years into the position that I'm currently in. And David, o- over those 20 years, I have to imagine you've seen a lot of change from what, you know, what you started with 20 years ago and the materials and the designs and how, you know, golf clubs were put together to what you see now. Talk about that range. What's, what's that gap look like? How did it start to, when you, when you look at what you've got now and you look all the way back 20 years ago, I mean, you got to be good, you know, shaking your head going, man, unbelievable <laughs> what we've done. I'm shaking my head as you ask that question because it's a terrific question, and I'm also smiling because I know all of the uh, revolutionary technologies that have been launched over the course of the past two decades will only be trumped by what we know will happen over the next 20 years, and that that's where my excitement resides within the question. Um, but yeah, you know, when I, I'll never forget this. When I took my first job with TaylorMade, I was selling a product called System 2 Midsize which was 180cc metal with the driver that launched at roughly eight degrees with something like 4,500 RPM spin at, a, at 150 miles an hour ball speed. And so if you take those algorithms and those data points and you extrapolate that into dis, the distance systematically, you'd probably hit the ball at 150 miles an hour ball speed with those launch conditions, roughly call it 230, maybe 240 yards. Today, we can modify the launch conditions on the same sp- on the same ball speed rates and generate roughly 265 to 270 yards in distance. So the technology wow. is dramatically different today 
relative to where we were 20 years ago. So it isn't just size. It's our ability now. And TaylorMade has always led here. We've always led in metalwood technology and humbly uh, in many regards today, and I'm sure we'll come to this, I believe we lead in technology across every category in golf, whether it's metalwoods, irons, golf ball, into new technology and wedges and potters. We can talk about all of that. But TaylorMade really, the lifeblood of the company, where we started the DNA of the company was off the tee and through your metalwoods. And so we've always had a very sophisticated, very technical, very innovative approach to advanced technology. So what we've seen from this 180cc driver has been the migration toward 460cc drivers that perform from inertia properties that were very low to very high. So that's the stability across the face, not just horizontally across the x-axis, but vertically across the y-axis. So whether a golfer hits the ball in the heel, hits a shot in the toe, high on the face, low on the face, we're now getting to a place where we can drive optimum performance across the entire face. We've seen movable weight technology, which we launched in an R7 driver in 2004, that enabled a golfer to change the mass properties of the driver on the fly, meaning before a round or after a round, contingent upon the USGA regulations, you can actually change the right and left bias in the product, the launch conditions uh, up or down, so whether you want to launch higher or lower, and then start to optimize spin rate. Then we added flight control technology. These are all tailor-made technology, so you'd imagine I'm a bit biased, but flight control then was a hosel adjustment that enabled us to change the face angle of the product and the loft of the product. And then we work all the way through, I think, about our M1 and M2 products today that are the number one drivers, ferry woods, and rescue clubs on tour. What we're able to do with multi-material construction, uh, where we infuse carbon fiber into a cast titanium frame, it's simply spectacular. And it's interesting. We have a a kind of a history uh, area within our organization. And I look at products every day when I walk in into my office and I see the original metalwood that we made when we said, we're going to transform this industry from making persimmon and laminated woods, actually wood, Chris, and make, make them out of steel. And where that has come over the past 20 years is simply extraordinary. A lot of those principles can be applied to irons uh, and wedges and putters and well to some degree. So we've seen a lot. But again, as I said, when I started, uh, we're more excited about what the next 20 years is going to provide us than even what we've been able to do over the previous 20. Yeah, and there's a lot, lot there I want to build off of, David. But talk about where do we have left to go? It seems like we're, you know, we're butting up against the USGA, you know, limitations for what, you know, for carry and all those sorts of things. Where do we have left to go? What are you, what are you looking at potentially for new technologies and what, what can happen, as you mentioned, over the next 20 years? Yeah, well, so there's there's two areas that we look at very closely, and you can see them inherent in our existing products. The first is the use of multi-material to improve mass property location across a particular golf club, and I won't get into that specifically by category, but the ability to utilize new and differentiated uh, materials enables us to really change mass property configuration of a golf club. When you do that, you can optimize and change launch conditions in a very, very meaningful way. So uh, a very good example of that is the launch of our M1 and M2 products. So you see that. You see them all over the tour. The reason tour players and golfers at every skill, play, skill level around the world are playing those metalwoods is because we've been able to change the experience and the performance variables in and around launch, speed, spin, unlike any other any other manufacturer's been able to do. So the first area of exploration continues to be the use of multi-material technology moving forward. The second area, Chris, is about geometric configuration, 
which is what does the actual shape of the golf club look like today relative to what it's going to look like in the future. And the best way to predict the future at some level is to take a look at what happened in the past, and you can see different shapes and sizes. But geometry plays a major, major role in the stability of performance of golf clubs. It also plays a major role in the aerodynamics which provides speed to a golf club, which ultimately, if you can get more speed and then and then dial in the appropriate launch conditions, you can optimize distance. So we're looking in those two areas very deeply. Uh, it's something that we have a, a high competence around. We hire engineering around and sophisticated scientists around to make sure we explore it. In many of these technologies, we have conceptual or ideation that's been done around them and even some theories about how they work. But it takes years and years and years to perfect the actual modeling of those technologies and then be able to design something with those technologies and then develop it into something that's actually playable. So we're actually five, six, seven, in some cases, 10 years out right now on these technologies. And we believe that they will continue to advance performance for all golfers as we move forward. So, David, as you as you've now wet all of our whistles, right? For for the for the person out there, or a guy like me who's in the market for new woods and new irons, you know, talk about why, why should we go right now to the PGA Tour Superstore this weekend? Trade in, like for me, trade in my Wilson irons for a set of the. You know, you've talked about the M ones and the M twos. Talk about what we can get by trading in those clubs for what you guys have to offer. Yeah, you know, and, and that's a that, that that's a great question with a long answer. Um, but I'll tr- I'll try to 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 provide some brevity around it. Golf is a performance sport, right? And all of us, when we hit a shot that actually comes off the way we want it to come off, the way maybe Dustin Johnson or Sergio Garcia or Justin Rose hits one from time to time, or or Jason Day, uh, we call it shot euphoria. It's it's amazing. All of a sudden, I hit the same shot that somebody on tour. Uh, hit uh, as of uh, a given moment in time. What we work to do in all of our technology um, is to provide you the opportunity to play with as much frequency and performances as those players play with. Now, I'm not advocating any of us have the same talent as Dustin Johnson does, but what we do have is the opportunity to manage or build a technology that will enable you to increase the probability of playing more like him than not like him. So to answer your question directly, if you want to perform better, and that's really the basis of our organization, the mission of our company is to be the best performance golf brand in the world. So that has to show up in every product we make. The reason you would go to any retail establishment, to any club fitter, to any golf professional to get into new products is because you have an aspiration to perform better. And if you want to perform better, go get fit into these new products. Go try these new products because what I can assure you when I go to my club and I look in the bag room at all of the products in everybody's bags, the technology is so antiquated in many regards, we can find shot after shot after shot improvement in your performance by getting into the new technology. So whether it's more forgiving, whether it's longer, whether it's more stability, whether it's better feel, whether it's optimal launch conditions, you pick from a myriad of, uh, of technical specifications and performance specifications, and you will be better off in today's technology than you were even last year's. And that's why the industry moves so quickly into advanced technology, because the greatest brands, and we believe we're one of them, and, and it's a bit self-patronizing there on behalf of TaylorMade, uh, but the greatest brands have to advance technology because we believe that we can help you and me and everybody listening to the podcast to play the game better. And when you try these products and put them on launch monitors, you will see the difference. And that's the real reason to continue to upgrade into new technology for better performance. 
David, a few more before we let you go. And you mentioned Dustin Johnson, Sergio Garcia, Justin Rose, right? I have to imagine you guys went through a pretty big range of emotions earlier this year at the Masters, first with Dustin Johnson, unfortunately, having to withdraw, you know, due to the back injury. I'm sure that was that was tough to, you know, watch that happen because he was in such a, you know, such a big role having won three tournaments in a row heading into that event. But then you get to a final round where you've got a pair of, you know, tailor-made guys right at the top of the leaderboard and Sergio and, and, and Justin Rose. You know, you're certainly in a win-win situation from there. Take us through what Masters Week was like for you. Yeah, it was uh, it was incredible, and uh, hopefully it was for every golfer around the world that gets to experience uh, the Masters, uh, regardless of where you are, whether you have the opportunity to be there, whether you ultimately have the opportunity to uh, to watch it on television or wherever you might be. It's such an incredible event that the history obviously is is spectacular. I'm going to back up before even Masters Week because two weeks prior to that. Uh, we had a showdown at the World Golf Championship, if you recall, in the final round in Austin, Texas. And to me, that was a bit of a precursor as to what potentially could happen at Augusta. And that's where Dustin Johnson uh, beat John Rahm, two tailor-made Adidas golf staff members in the final. It was an all-tailor-made final, which was extremely exciting for us. And, and I'm sure you've talked about John Rahm from time to time. He's a couple shots back this week as well. But he is a rising superstar in the game of golf. So we knew we know all of our players very well. Uh, certainly Dustin has ascended to number one in the world. Um, we knew Jason Day was rounding into form, although he had dealt with some personal issues with his mother, and we knew that he would he would play fairly well. Justin has been playing well all year long. Thought John would be there in his first Masters, and he was. And then there was Sergio. And, um, you know, fortunately, I have a, a wonderful uh, relationship with our athletes. They're so, just such great human beings. They share the same values of our company. So leading into Augusta, ironically, I actually had dinner with Sergio and Dustin on Wednesday, excuse me, on Tuesday night uh, prior to the start of the event. And Dustin was in incredible form, physically, uh, mentally. Uh, his game was was really peaking. And so obviously he was the odds on favorite um, to, to win at the Masters. Uh, so I was excited about Dustin. And then and subsequently on Wednesday, when I got off the plane on my way back to San Diego, he had that that uh, unfortunate incident where he slipped off a couple of stairs and banged himself up and, and had to withdraw. And that was just devastating for, for me personally because of my admiration, appreciation for Dustin, uh, and certainly for Dustin because he was really prepared to play. But my conversation Tuesday night with Sergio was very interesting. There was a calmness about Sergio. Uh, there was a confidence about Sergio. Uh, he's engaged to a wonderful lady. His life is in, in a great place, and his game is very strong, coming off a win in Dubai earlier this spring. And there was just something very special about Sergio. And I grabbed his father, Victor Garcia, as we were finishing up dinner. I said, I just think this is going to be a very special week for Sergio. And he looked me in the eyes and said, hey, he's going to hit every shot and hit a lot of good putts. And in the end, I think he'll be there. And so it was very interesting. So I actually left Augusta on Wednesday. And Chris, you and I were going to try to connect. I believe it was uh, the following week at Augusta. I was, I was in the Middle East. I didn't actually get to watch the Masters um, on television I was watching it on my handheld at 2 o'clock in the morning, both the Saturday round, third round, and Sunday final round um, in the middle of the night, which was really surreal for me. And so as I watched this and watched the final pairing in Sergio and Rose, first first of all, we were extremely proud. Both of those athletes model themselves as professionals and are, are so good for the game of golf, I can't even really articulate how proud we are of both of them. They've both been with us, and some of your listeners may know this, they've both been with TaylorMade for literally 12 and 13 years, respectively. 
So we've grown up with these athletes and they've grown up with us and we've stood by them and they've stood by us and they are true family to our company and their impact on the world of golf is, is invaluable. So as I watched them compete both on the front nine and the back nine and saw the, the ebbs and flows of what felt like a match play event, uh, for TaylorMade and for these two athletes, it was, you know, hard to, hard to pick one over the other because you love them both. But when Sergio ultimately won, uh, and capped off his first major championship and got that monkey off his back. I think it was an extremely, extremely popular win, not only for him as an athlete, but for us as golfers that deal with success and failure in this game every day, every time we play. And so for Sergio to, to, to put on the green jacket on Sunday and knowing Justin, the, the ultimate professional in golf in his certainly um, disappointment that he didn't win, but also his joy and elation for his friend Sergio couldn't have been scripted better for us, but more importantly, for golf. It was really, really a great event. And since I've had a couple of interactions with Sergio, he's in a, in a terrific place, as you can imagine. His game is great. And I would, uh, I would, I would bet that this isn't the first of, of majors for Sergio. I think he's in a very good place to continue to play well and contend. And no doubt, Dustin, Justin, Jason, John Rahm, and, and, and other members of our staff will be there throughout the course of the major championships as we work through this year. And David, you mentioned it being a popular win, and it certainly was. And, you know, I was certainly happy to see Sergio finally get the monkey off his back. Very happy for him and this thing, you know, and, and for having won the Masters. Do you guys see a spike in sales when one of your players, whether it's wins a, just a, you know, a tournament, you know, a weekly tournament, or particularly when they come through and win a major? We, Chris, we do, you know, and, and, you know, we're very fortunate right now because our business is, has got a lot of momentum across all categories. And if you, if you give me 60 seconds here, I'll, I'll take you through. Sergio won with the new 2017 M2 driver. Uh, Justin was also in that driver. Uh, their driving statistics at Augusta were spectacular. In fact, I look at driving statistics almost every day when there's a tour event. And I just got an email as we're talking that at the Wells Fargo, um, you know, we're one, two, and three right now in M1 and M2 2017 Metalwoods, a testament to, to the technology we bring to market. So yes, we see an immediate effect on, uh, the impact of our sales. Uh, and we first feel that on Monday morning when we come back into the office and the call center lights up with questions that really are directed about what does Sergio have in his bag and how quickly can I get it? So whether it's our M1 and M2 Metalwoods, which have been phenomenal for us this spring and, and continue to get strong as we move into the summer, uh, Sergio's playing with a new iron called a P750. It's a forged cavity back iron that is absolutely beautiful. And we make a, a version that's slightly larger than Sergio's and slightly more forgiven called the P770. And then we actually have a complement of game improvement irons, the M2 iron, which is, which is uh, the number one selling iron in golf, which is fantastic. Um, so we're very, very excited about that. So yeah, we see a surge in sales. One of the products, and I'm sure you've seen this, that is red hot on tour, and, um, and and red being the optimal term here, is the red spider putter that Jason has in play, and Dustin has a black version of it, Sergio One with the red spider tour at Augusta, uh, which has been the number one putter model on tour now for 11 consecutive weeks. So we're, we're sold out of those putters for the next couple of weeks, which is a good and tough position to be in, but we've got demand for those products around the world. But what's really breaking through for us, uh, and, and we're known as an equipment company, uh, what most golfers don't know, and we're trying to create a high level of awareness this spring, is we make the most technical golf ball in the world. The only five-piece golf ball played on the PGA Tour called the TP5 and TP5X. That is the golf ball that not only Sergio won with, 
but that Dustin Johnson, the number one player in the world, plays with, that Justin Rose has in play, that John Rahm has in play, that Jason Day has in play. And so we're creating awareness that there's a much better way to play golf with the one piece of equipment that you hit every shot with that is your golf ball. And the TP5 and TP5X golf ball is the product that is dramatically different than we think all other products in, in, in the arena of golf balls. So the one thing I would encourage everybody is go try this golf ball. You will see things around the performance in this golf ball that not only the best players in the world are seeing, but players of our skill level are seeing. And we're seeing, we're seeing a transformation in the golf ball industry right in front of us. Yeah, and that's and that's a great point, David, because that's you know one one of the final you know two questions I've got for you. With, with you as you talk about the golf ball, I got to be honest with you. When I knew you were coming on, you know, coming on the show, I went out and I played the Project A golf ball because you know my yeah. golf swing is somewhere between ninety two, ninety five miles an hour, and the TP five as well. And both were rated gold by Golf Digest. Congratulations in their twenty seventeen hot list. And I enjoyed both models in particular the distance and feel that I got for the project A because I think it actually fits my golf swing a little bit better because mm-hmm. I have a lower golf swing or golf swing speed but you know talk yep. about the advantages the TP5 being a five piece golf ball talk mm-hmm. about what that means and then what you know players you know similar to you know to me can get when we put the project A in play yeah so thanks both golf balls are fantastic project A is built around uh, a three piece construction platform uh, it's a cast urethane golf ball, so you get exceptional feel out of it, and you also get exce- exceptional activation across um, really the entire bag of products. So it's a wonderful golf ball, and it's, and it's, and it's commercially successful for us, and, and we're very happy with its performance. The real breakthrough is when you can get to a five-piece construction golf ball because unlocking the key to golf ball success is how do you optimize distance off the tee? and then still retain feel and spin qualities around the green. So if some of your listeners have tried something like a Serlin golf ball off the tee and they say, hey, it's a hard golf ball, uh, it doesn't spin a whole lot, I hit it and it goes forever, yeah, that's great. But the challenge with a Serlin golf ball, two or three-piece construction, is that around the greens you give up all sorts of performance variables, right? You can't chip it very well, it doesn't spin very well, it doesn't feel very good. So then how do you take a cash urethane golf ball that typically spins more around the greens and is softer and feels good with a softer cover and be able to do both. So where we started with TP5 and TP5X was the notion of how do we create a golf ball that works like a two-piece Serlin golf ball off the tee that optimizes distance and has the and can retain and build upon the feel qualities and spin rates necessary as we work through the bag and certainly chips and putts like a cast urethane golf ball. To solve that is not an easy thing to do, as you can imagine. The solution for us and what golf is now seeing is that if you can actually build multiple layers into a golf ball, and we have five in ours, that you can activate the golf ball across your entire bag of products. So whether it's with your driver at different club head speeds because of the length of, of the of the golf club itself, all the way into your wedges and putters, now we have a golf ball that optimizes performance in terms of speed off the face of the driver and spin. So it has optimal spin. It's almost like a smart golf ball technology. And then the spin rates and the speeds vary all the way through the bag of, of that you play. So what all of our tour players are seeing and why golfers around the world are jumping into this technology is they're experiencing the same thing, which is, hey, I not only am longer off the tee and longer through the bag, I don't compromise anything around the greens. And so, again, to solve that is one of the, the most dynamic, complex equations that you could possibly imagine. The TP5 and TP5X golf ball not only do it, 
But Chris, to give you a little peek under the covers, we've been working on this for over a decade. And it, wow. and it takes that long to develop. So the urethane, the cast urethane cover, if you look at your fingernail, the thickness of that cover is the thickness of your fingernail with the durability of the strongest materials in the world. So the cover material is spectacular. To get there takes a long time. How you adhere that cover to the first layer, all the way work, all the way through the mantle and into the core. And each one of these layers is activated at different speeds in different launch angles. So obviously your wedge has greater loft than your driver does throughout the entire bag. Then we build an aerodynamic package so that the ball in the wind is more stable than any other golf ball that we've ever tested. And you put that all together, you end up with the best performing golf ball in the world. And that's what we feel we have right now. Yeah, I tell you what, like I say, I put both of those golf balls in play, went out and uh, and played a couple of rounds uh, with both of them and I you know I got to tell you I love both of those golf balls they're absolutely outstanding and they performed very very well so kudos to you guys a, a decade seems unbelievable to you know for yeah. uh, for technology but you guys came through that's great stuff yeah thank you Thanks. david one more that. before we let you go and you guys signed tiger woods obviously very you know uh very prominently earlier this year unfortunately he hasn't been able to play much golf since then, but just curious to get your, what's your expected ROI for having, you know, Tiger on board and, uh, and playing your golf clubs now? Well, you know, Chris, we don't always look at an investment in a tour player with a, with a direct correlation to a return on investment. You know, we, we align ourselves in partnership with tour players for several reasons. One is, uh, we appreciate their values and what they stand for in the game of golf. Um, Tiger, obviously, uh, if not the greatest of all time, one of the top two greatest of all time. And, and, and your, your listeners can, can argue that that's a good debate for another, another podcast. Um, we look for their, their competitive qualities, how authentic they are to the game. Um, and Tiger, obviously one of the fiercest competitors in the history of the game. Um, but you know, t- Tiger really came to us. Um, he had a unique moment in time last summer as did many of the Nike athletes when Nike exited the golf equipment and golf ball business. And it was very interesting to watch the migration of those athletes to brands because for the first time, uh, these athletes had the opportunity to play whatever brand of whatever equipment they wanted to play. And ironically, almost every one of them, not all of them, but almost every one of them came to TaylorMade immediately saying, we'd like to play your products. And they've said that because they believe that the performance variables and the investment we make in advanced technology, real performance, uh, was something that obviously they have to trust their game to because their livelihood is built in and around how they perform and they were not going to compromise the equipment in their bag. So Tiger actually came to us and he thoroughly tested. You can imagine every manufacturer wanted him to take a look at their products and he tested pretty much everybody's products. And I think he shared this story with the world when we announced uh, that, uh, that he was going to join our team. And so uh, Tiger uh, immediately went into our metal woods. Then he looked at our iron technology, and we were working on a on a specific iron for him. And and then he looked at our wedge technology, and and even looking at our putter technology. And Tiger, one thing about Tiger, he loves advanced technology, and he's got a great great eye for golf clubs. I mean, he's he's really a student of golf equipment, and and that's fun for us to be able to work with him on designing and developing new things as well. So it, um, it, you know, for these things to work for athletes and for brands, it, it, it's actually got to work at the core of both the company and the athlete. And for Tiger, in this case, he just had this unparalleled belief that, you know, he had the opportunity to play the best. And so he said, hey, I'm going to play TaylorMade. So when we decided to come together in partnership, 
Um, you know, we, we believe in him. We're, 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 I feel for him right now. I know how badly he wants to play and he's working through this injury and, and we're all hopeful that, you know, through this next, uh, procedure, this most recent procedure, uh, that'll come back and come back and play well again. And I know how fiercely he wants to compete and, and, and we'll be ready to go if, if he's ready to go in the future. And, 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 uh, and so we're supporting him unconditionally and trying to help him get there with our products. Um, so, you know, we're looking forward to, to a, a long future with Tiger and, and hopeful that he comes back to the game and, and lights up the world of golf in the future, much like he has in the past. And like you mentioned, David, I got to imagine just, you know, because he's Tiger Woods and because of, you know, the great success he's had over his career, that just his endorsement alone would be great. Because I would imagine if someone came out today and said that Jack Nicholas was playing their brand of golf clubs or their golf balls, even at 77 years old it would make a positive impact on the brand if for nothing else, like I say, for just his endorsement of the product alone. Yeah, no doubt. Absolutely, Chris. And and we're seeing that. So, you know, to come back to your original question, is there a return? Of course, right? Golfers are aware of of who Tiger is uh, and what he plays and uh, whether he's active playing um, today or in the future. Um, what he puts in his bag matters. And, but, you know, for us, it, it's broader than just that. Of course, we want our athletes to play our products, but we want them intimately involved in the development of our products and thinking about the future of, of not only our products, but the position of our brand and the game and the business. And, and we've got such a great group of guys. I mean, it isn't often, um, that I get a chance to, to share with an audience like yours that, yeah, Taylor, maybe we're very humbled by this. We have the number one player in the world. We have the number three player in the world. We have Sergio and Rosie rounding out the top 10. So we've got four of the top 10 players in the world. John Rahm, in my mind, will be a top five player in the world, most likely by the end of the year. Just watch this young man compete and play, and he's incredible for golf. Great energy, passion, love for the game, and world-class talent. So, you know, I think about those players amongst the balance of our team. We're very, very proud of them. They're exciting athletes. They're, they're progressive, and, and they care about the game just like our company does. David, before we let you go, let our listeners know, how can they stay up to date with all the great advances and all the great things that uh, that you and Taylor Made Adidas are doing, whether it's either online or over social media as well? Yeah, so TaylorMadeGolf.com is is the, the, the best and most central access point to our brands, our company. Uh, all of our products, our tour stories, our performance stories. Uh, and then you can certainly follow us socially uh, on the TaylorMade handle, TaylorMade Golf handle on Twitter, on Facebook, uh, certainly on Instagram. We're posting great content all the time. And, you know, it's not simply just about product in many regards. It's about our company, our products, and what's happening on tour and, and what's happening in the game of golf. And we've built this this incredible following. So many of your listeners, if you are following, thanks so much. We're, we're thrilled that that you're interested in us and hopefully playing our products. And, and uh, what I can say to everybody else is if you're not, you should try them at the very least because your outcome will be, uh, will be terrific. And, and I'm sure your experience will be equally as strong. David, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to be a part of the show and join me this morning. I hope you'll come back again soon. Update us on all the great advances that you guys continue to work on and, and the things that you guys are doing. It's been, uh, it's been a real treat having you as part of the show today. Uh, Chris, I appreciate the invite. Thanks so much. Always here for you guys. You've got a great show. Thank you. Thank you, David. All the best to you and your family. We look forward to catching up with you again soon. Okay. Bye-bye. That is David Abelis. He is the CEO of TaylorMade Golf. And, and folks, you know, I, I say it sincerely. You know, you look at their, the technology and the things that they are doing, and it's, uh, it really is mind-boggling. And, you, and, you know, back to the early part of the conversation, when you look at, you know, where they were 20 years ago and the, devan- the advances to this point, and then to think that we have, you know, 
ways to go. I just, you know, it, 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 it sort of boggles my mind to think what, what could come next? How much better could golf equipment than, uh, and golf balls be? Well, you know, keep an eye on TaylorMade because uh, I got a feeling we're going to find out. All right, folks, it is time for me to put a bow on this episode of Next on the Tee. Before we close up shop, I want to remind you about our good friend, PGA Tour Pro Jim Estes, and the great folks over at the Salute Military Golf Association. Let's hear a reminder from Jim about the great things that they do. The Salute Military Golf Association was created to provide rehabilitative golf experiences to the brave men and women who have been wounded while serving our country. Hi, I'm Jim Estes, PGA Golf Pro and co-founder of the Salute Military Golf Association. With my adaptive golf program, we've successfully helped thousands of soldiers in their recovery, both mentally and physically. The SMGA has been providing family-inclusive golf experiences across the country since 2007. To date, the SMGA has equipped more than a 1,000 warriors with properly fitted golf clubs and has extended its clinic series to more than eight chapter and affiliate locations across the U.S. If you are a wounded veteran interested in participating or if you'd like to learn more about the Salute Military Golf Association and find a chapter closest to you, visit our website at smga.org. We've seen firsthand how impactful golf can be in aiding one's recovery. The Salute Military Golf Association, empowering wounded veterans one fairway at a time. Visit smga.org. That's smga.org. Yeah, folks, you hear us talk about it every week here on Next on the Tee. They do amazing things there over at the Salute Military Golf Association for our wounded veterans. To find out more information and to see how you can get involved, go online to smga.org. All right, everyone, my sincere thanks again to Paul Rudin, Tom Stickney, and David Abelius for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed this show. Please give me your thoughts. Check out our, our page on Facebook, Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro. Give me your feedback, and plus, if you've got some questions, for, you know, one of our future guests or, you know, someone that's been on the show previously, please let me know. We'll try to get that question over there to them and get you know, get an answer for you. You can find us online at nextonthetea.net. There you can see, you know, our upcoming guests and our schedule. Plus, you can stream or download any of our archive episodes for free as well. Please also check out our sister show on the football side, Thursday Night Tailgate, with me and my co-host Bob Lazari, our announcer Joe Lajanusa. That show airs live every Thursday night from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time. You can stream it live on Blog Talk Radio. You can also hear us. You know, we're on a number of different streaming platforms, most notably and available as a free podcast on Podbean and iHeartRadio as well. On Thursday night, Tailgate, we're joined every week by five NFL legends sharing their stories, you know, from their playing days, plus giving us insights into today's game. Plus, we also highlight two players doing great things in their communities in our Spotlight on the Positive segment. Like I said, you can find this show online next on the T.net, the other show, uh, Thursday night, Tailgate, ThursdayNightTailgate.com. So please check us out online and let us know what you think. Folks. Thank you again for choosing to listen to this show. We know you've got a lot of shows and podcasts that are out there that are available to you. We really appreciate that you're making Next on the T one of them. Until next week, hit them straight, my friends.